This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Your attachment style is one of the most important pieces of self-knowledge and understanding. It is now known that our childhood experiences can really affect how we view ourselves and the world around us. Don't even try to engage in relationships before you truly understand your attachment history and style. Yes, it's that important. Already in a relationship? Listen to this episode and learn how to make it healthier. Valeria interviews Anna Kondrueva. She is a psychotherapist in private practice located in Colorado, USA. She specializes in treating trauma and bipolar disorder, along with helping couples get their groove back. Working with relationships and attachment is Anna's passion. She believes in healing the world by reestablishing emotional connection between people. With a background in social work and marriage therapy, Anna rejoices in being a teacher as well as a helper. She has created courses about attachment and about bipolar disorder with the hope of contributing to a better and kinder world. Meet Anna at CourageToHealTherapy.com. Here's the interview with Anna Kondrueva. In your own words, who is Anna Kondrueva? Oh, that's that's a great question. And I guess there are two ways to answer that. One is, you know, a very practical one that I am a psychotherapist in private practice um, that's located near Denver, Colorado in the United States. And that I work with adults who struggle with the relationship issues or trauma or bipolar disorder. However, if I were to answer that question in a deeper way, I would really call myself a seeker, um, a seeker of knowledge that's out there, of self-understanding and of a place to belong. What was the inspiration to become a psychotherapist, Anna? Uh, So this is actually my second career. I used to work in a completely different field where I did uh, financial and legal compliance. And the truth is, I've always wanted to go into something that's like psychotherapy. I've always wanted to help people rather than work with Excel spreadsheets. So finally, in my 30s, in my late 30s, I was brave enough to make that switch. That sounds like the following the heart, doing something that you knew that was the path of your life. It sounds to me, would you say that this is the purpose of your life or something different? Now that I am doing this work, I absolutely feel like it's my purpose. What does it feel when we 
have found our purpose. I would love to hear from you um, about the feelings of it. Oh, you know, the main feeling for me once I changed careers is things just felt like they fit. Mm. And I wouldn't say that things were easy, but they seemed simple. All of a sudden, things made sense. So not easier, but simpler. Sometimes we think that life can be simple, but it doesn't mean necessarily easier or easy. I agree. What comes to me is what complicates life from your perspective? How do we complicate life? (laughs) No, I think we do it in so many ways. Um, I mean, you know, we talk to ourselves in a mean way. That's one way to complicate life. Uh, We don't dare go for what we truly want to do. Like I said, it took me quite a long time to dare to do this. And that's another way to complicate life. And that it takes courage, doesn't it, Anna? Or does it take more than courage? Oh, I absolutely. I think courage is the best word to describe it uh, because I think of courage as feeling the fear and doing it anyway. I believe it was Brene Brown who may have said that. Um, yep, that's courage. Another open question is love. What is love to you? What is your understanding of love? Oh, wow. I could answer this in so many ways, I think. Um, To me, love is when two or more people truly rely on each other. When you know that somebody else, another human being, truly has your back, even when you're not there. That's love to me. So having this, would you say unconditioned support, unconditioned friendship, it's uh, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When there's really no uh, conditions, like you said, to have to be a certain way or act a certain way, just to be accepted the way you are and to feel like you matter to someone. How realistic is this, Anna? Is that um, something that we all can do or this is uh, it takes a special abilities or even special efforts? Do we have to make an effort to get to this state of feeling unconditional love towards ourselves and others? You know, again, here I could give two answers. One is I do believe that there's a core within us that is capable of that love without needing direction or guidance. Um, However, that core is very often hidden under layers of what we mentioned earlier of complicating life. So so it's not easy for everybody to go to that place of loving unconditionally. I do believe that everybody can do it. It's just going to be harder for some people than others. That makes me think about spirituality when you talk about this place in all of us that is able to love unconditionally. Do you have any spiritual belief systems, views or practices? Um, I would say that, yes, I do. And it really is well described by what I just stated about having this inner core. Mm, And yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, my spirituality is really informed and inspired by internal family systems, which is a type of therapy that does believe that there is that unshakable core within us, self with the capital S. Um, that's calm, compassionate, curious, confident, really strong and doesn't need 
anywhere else to go in order to feel that unconditional love. When it comes to the obstacles to getting to this core that you speak of, unconditional love for oneself and others, is that something, destination that we arrive at or this is an ongoing process per se? Always an ongoing process. You're right. always rowing that boat. Um, yeah. You arrive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always <laughs> upstream. So we are always, let's say, working toward balance. I have heard of, of dynamic balance before, that there's no such a thing as balance as a destination, but dynamic balance. Would you say the same for healing, dynamic healing? We are always healing at different levels. Oh, yeah, I love that term. I think you just coined a great new term there, dynamic healing. Absolutely. It's so multidimensional. Um, I cannot recall, I think it was a Greek philosopher who said this, that you cannot walk into the same river twice. Mm. Meaning that, you know, even if you walk into the same river a millisecond for a second time, the water's changed. Mm, true. So to your point, there there is a destination But you never truly get there because things change. And you notice changes and improvements, but you're still working and still going upstream. At this time, what do you feel is the world's greatest need? Oh, gosh, so many options to choose from. But I am going to go with self-compassion. I love that answer, too. And this is something that I often talk about here. I write about self-love, self-kindness. Talk to me about a bit more, um, Anna, about the description of self-love. How would you describe what self-compassion is? Uh, Self-compassion is really, I mean, it's really important for all of us because I truly think we can't feel compassion for others unless we have at least a little bit of self-compassion within us. And um, that self-compassion, self-kindness that you named, that's an element of it. It's just simply remembering that you're a human being. You're going to have difficult days. You're going to have to do hard things. And you're not always going to be at the top of your game. Um, So that self-kindness is part of it. And then another big part to me is remembering that you're not alone. Being open to ask for support and look for support. Yeah, that's a big one. I noticed that some people don't do that. And I remember myself not doing that, looking for support and open up to other people, tell them what I was going through because there was a lot of uh, resistance in a sense of not wanting to be vulnerable or not being ready perhaps to get to that point. Yeah, what would you say to those people who are feeling this way, how I used to feel? You know, first of all, I just want to validate that, yes, it is definitely hard to be vulnerable, um, that it's not some kind of weakness of character or a flaw in to be scared of that vulnerability. Once again, it's that common humanity. A lot of people are scared of that. Yeah. So that has to do with understanding too, right, Anna? Understanding ourselves or our parts and kind of working with them. And how do we get out of that place from resistance to vulnerability? Is that a long, long path? (laughs) So uh, here I do think it's, again, going to be very individual because, for example, for some people who have gone through significant amounts of trauma in their lives, 
Of course, things are going to be different. Um, their whole life experience is going to be a bit different. Um, and I am going to once again go to my answer of self-compassion because that journey from being scared to be vulnerable to actually opening up, you have to be gentle with yourself. And you have to understand that that resistance is a defense mechanism that formed sometime back in the day and it was needed for your survival. So resistance is fear, basically, right, Anna? You know, it's it's both. It's fear and it's a helpful part that once I, like I said, at some point was very useful to you. However, right now in your life, it's no longer useful. Actually, the feeling of resistance, it's something that is always useful. I mean, in a sense of new ones, because I can see in myself resistance in the past that I don't no longer have them. They are not here. But then new ones come up. And I do often want to get to a place. I know there isn't one, but I wanted to evolve to, at a point where there's no more resistance. There's a lot more gentleness and kindness and presence where I just let life happen. Oh, sure. That sounds like a great spot to be in. And I would also love to get to that spot. <laughs> All of us, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All of us. So, um, so true. And it is, like you said before, it is, um, this journey is just it's ongoing. It's something that we don't arrive at. So it's good to know that, actually. <laughs> Are you open to new clients? And how do you meet your clients? Online, offline, in um, groups, corporations? Um, I am open for new clients and due to licensing requirements, I am only able to work with people who live in Colorado in the United States or in countries where the requirements are the same as here and I have the qualifications. Um, so that kind of limits my scope of practice. Um, and I get clients through different means, you know, some find me online in online directories, some find me through my social media, um, some find me on Google. And I've wanted to mention, I know we'll be talking in a moment about attachment and attachment styles. And I know you have an online course, it's titled, What is Your Attachment Style? So talk to me for a moment about the purpose of creating this course, Anna. Oh, sure. So I, I am very passionate about helping people with their relationships. I do see relationships as a very important part of life, even for those of us who may not see them as important. Um, and this course really is a way for me to help people understand themselves and understand why they act the way they do in relationships. What are attachments from your perspective and how are they formed? Uh, so attachment is really at its basic level can be described as an emotional bond between two people. Um, and of course, you can be attached to your dog or cat. You can even be attached to the earth. But here we're talking about two humans being attached to one another. And that bond is really important um, for at least one of those human survival when they're young, because you have an attachment between your caregiver and yourself. And that's really the first attachment all of us experience in life. I know there are four attachment styles. What are they? Uh, so, yes, there are four attachment styles. And 
I just want to quickly say that they do form in childhood based on how our caregivers treat us. Uh, however, they can change throughout lifetime. And they can also change depending on the situation. For example, somebody could have, you know, style one all the time with everybody except for romantic relationships where they actually go into a different style. So kind of keep that in mind as I describe mm. the four. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the very first one is you have your secure attachment style and about half of the population has it. Um, it's really hard to estimate, but that's what research shows us, the little research we do have when it comes to the percentages. And people who have this secure style they feel really comfortable with intimacy and they don't really obsess about their partner's ability to love them back and to be present. They have healthy, strong boundaries, uh, but they are willing to be flexible and forgive people if that's appropriate. So that's your secure attachment style in a nutshell. And these uh, people usually have what we would consider traditionally good childhoods where their parents attended to them when they cried, you know, played with them, allowed their emotions to exist, whether it's positive or negative emotions, and were present with those emotions. That sounds yeah. like a great one. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that everybody wants. However, you know, it's it's not necessarily perfect. People with a secure style still have imperfect relationships, of course. Well, that would make sense to me. So that's one. That's one. Um, the next one, you then have three styles that are all considered insecure, mm -hmm. and each has its own name. So the first one is avoidant. It's also called dismissive sometimes, so you might see that term. Uh, but avoidant style is when you don't feel comfortable with intimacy and you really value your um, independence and freedom more so than being connected with other people. And you don't really worry about your partner's feelings or commitment towards you. You're just kind of off on your own and enjoying that autonomy. So that's your avoidance style. And about 25% of people out there have this style. Wow. I, I didn't know this. So under the insecure attachment style, you have three of them. Yeah. So, so the avoidant is one of those three. And then the second one of the three is called anxious or also sometimes referred to as preoccupied. Mm. Um, and this one, I like that the name kind of describes what it is, is you crave that intimacy and closeness with other people. But there's lots of insecurities mm. about, you know, do they love me? Do they really care about me? What are they thinking about me? Where is this going? And little things that your partner does that could indicate that they are somehow not 100% into you tend to really set you off and send you into this spin of anxiety about the relationship. And uh, when it comes to anxious, that's about 20% of the population, roughly. And then the last insecure style is called disorganized or also referred to as fearful sometimes. And that's about 5% of the population. It's not common. And this style not always, but usually results from some kind of trauma in childhood, whether it was intentionally caused by caregivers or unintentional in some way. And uh, with this attachment style, people are uncomfortable with both closeness and intimacy and um, being on their own. So they long for that connection, but they're terrified of actually connecting with other people. 
It sounds to me like all the insecure attachment styles, they are connected to fear, all of them. But perhaps in a different way, as you said, avoidant, anxious, and then fearful, yeah, really using that word. But all of them um, founded in fear, right, Anna? Would that be correct? That is really a good way um, of looking at it, because for the avoidance style, the fear is connected to being with other people. And maybe it's not necessarily a strong fear. It's more of a tendency to prefer being alone. And then for the anxious style, it is the fear of being alone. It's the opposite for what it is for the avoidance style. And for the disorganized, both are scary. How do you help your clients to move from insecure attachments to secure attachments? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that process, first of all, it's difficult and yeah. it's not as easy as just going, okay, I am, you know, five on an avoidance scale and now I'm 10 on a secure scale. <laughs> I wish it was yeah. that simple. Um, But the way, you know, first step is really awareness about attachment styles and how important they are. And that um, this word that we throw around codependency is really not what people think it is, because that's what a lot of people are scared of. And explaining that there's a big difference between codependency and having a secure relationship, a secure bond with another human being when you can truly rely on them. So that I would say is step number one. How do we learn to identify that? Hmm. Um, So I will tell you this about codependency. First of all, the term itself started um, in the field of substance use and addiction, and it referred to family members who would be enabling the person with the substance use issue. So we now use it in a completely different way. And there is something called the dependency paradox, that says that we are actually more likely to venture out on our own and be independent when we have somebody beside us who we can count on. So it's not exactly what we um, think it is, being codependent. I think I read a book about codependency a long time ago in relationships. That was almost 10 years ago. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. But we are all codependents here. As humans, we work with one another. We are interconnected. Everything is interconnected. So in a way, we are all codependents. Right. Oh, I love that so much. And I couldn't agree more. That in a way, we all have to depend on one another for our common survival and our common um, search for meaning. You were actually mentioning the steps toward secure attachments coming from insecure attachments. And then I I asked you that question about codependency. Oh, uh, yes. Back to the steps. Um, I would say that really the second step and that one is going to be by far the most important is to actually develop a relationship that's a bit more secure with another person. If that person has a secure style themselves, all the better. And this is like the ideal step to take is to get into a relationship with somebody who has a secure attachment style and can model that to you. The interesting thing is that a lot of times we are attracted to people who are in a way similar to us or they are familiar somehow which brings us to insecure attachment style kind of uh, driven people <laughs> has been my, my experience in the past, which is interesting to see. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I would just add to to all of that is that it's all about exiting your comfort zone. You're not going to change into a more secure style if you're not willing to challenge yourself on those things that feel uncomfortable. It goes back to self-awareness, self-knowledge, right, Anna? In the way, that's what I hear. So knowing about oneself really helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you know you have an avoidance style and it's really hard to ask for help, that's exactly what you should be doing. It's a challenge for most of us to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. That a lot of times is the door, right, to freedom, I have found. Oh, too. yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Did you finish with the steps? And I'm not sure. I just asked another question in the middle of it. But two steps, I think you mentioned. Yes. Um, you know, I would say that the third one is to uh, be willing to exit your comfort zone. Mm, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And I'll keep it to three steps because you could take a whole, you know, bunch of steps towards being more secure. But those are really the main ones. And I will say about step two, forming a relationship with somebody, is that it can be a non-romantic relationship and it can be your relationship with your therapist. Mm, wow, you read my mind. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that sounds wonderful to me. I see therapists as best friends. It's almost like going beyond that in a way. You, amazing people, reflect back to us what is to be the best version of ourselves. That's what I see in healers, therapists. So thank you so much, Anna, for being you because it's a beautiful mirror to have in life. And I wish more people would be open to it, which it is happening now. And Yes, thankfully. Yeah, yeah I have a question about the attachment theory. Is that the same thing as the attachment styles or something different? Absolutely. Uh, that is based on a set of experiments that really helped us discover these styles and name them and realize that just how important they are in all areas of life. It started back in the 40s uh, with the scientist named John Bowlby. He's really the father of the attachment theory. And it really blossomed from there to where now we're doing a lot of research and putting a lot of attention on attachment. Mm, wonderful. And is that still a theory? or has progressed in effect? <laughs> you know, I think it's both. I think it can be both uh, in where we have a lot of research support that the theory is, you know, perfectly valid and definitely supported empirically. And it's also a theory in a sense that it gives us a way of understanding how humans work. Uh, so in that way, I guess it will al always be a theory. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you. The ending questions, Anna. Would you like to add anything else that we didn't mention? Mm, let's see. Oh, um, I would absolutely recommend a book to your listeners. And this book is called Attached. And the authors are Amir Levine and uh, Rachel Heller. It is a great book on attachment. You will learn a lot. And I do have a quote from it if we have a second. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Perfect. Okay. So the quote is this. When our partner acts as our secure base and emotional anchor, we derive strength and encouragement to go out into the world and to make the most of ourselves. 
they are there to help us become the best person we can be as we are for them. Yes, a trillion times that truth. And going back to the therapists and healers, that's wonderful to have in our lives. I do what I do for a reason. Recommend that, I mean, everyone have a therapist or somebody. It doesn't have to be, but it's always best. It's like really, really having a best friend. I mean, in a deeper sense. Thank you so much, Anna, for doing what you do, for being who you are. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much for the kind words and thank you for letting me speak about this topic that I really love. What do you love most about being in a human body or being the human body? Mm. You know, I love playing. I love acting like a little kid and my body can support that, you know, (laughs) let me run around and jump and have this joy of playing. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. This is something that we have, for some reason, as adults, we have forgotten to do that. Some of us, or most of us, I would say, it's sad to see people around me very stiff and they don't dance anymore. They don't jump, they don't do anything. Yeah, they don't act like children anymore. Um, Is that because we have become too uh, mental? We are always in giving a lot of attention to our thoughts and believing that they are true. I wonder if that's what's happening. Um, You know, I wonder, too, if the reason that happens is we think that the opposite of play is work. And our society is very work-focused and work-conscious and everybody's supposed to work hard. But I'll tell you what my professor once said. And she said that the opposite of play is not work, it's depression. That makes so much sense. Hmm. When you think about it that way, all of a sudden it turns around and you go, oh, I don't have to be, quote unquote, lazy to play. It's joyful. Yes, so true. Wow, I love that. And it's interesting that you say that because earlier today I thought about depression and expression. Somebody wrote about it, I'm not sure who did. I think it was not a book that has been written with the title of from depression to expression. But I think I heard that from some people here probably. And that came to mind today. I don't know why. So yeah, that makes sense, expression. So playfulness really displays that image. That's what I see, like a body that's moving, that's um, fluid, that's in the flow of life. That's nice, stiff. So that makes a lot of sense. I love that reminder. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. And um, what is the meaning of freedom to you? Mm. Oh, freedom. Great word. You know, I would say to me, freedom is having the kind of life that I don't feel like I have to run away from. Wow. (laughs) We are thinking about moving and now from one place to another. And I often kind of remind myself to stay in the moment and not kind of. Mm-hmm. Try to be elsewhere because I do like the other side of Florida. There's a beautiful beaches there and it's very calm, the water. <laughs> so that's a beautiful reminder, uh, having a life you don't have to run from. Yes. And my last question is, what are three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Mm. Um, I would say experience of traveling somewhere different 
doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter if it's a place you really always wanted to go or just a place you happen to pick on the map, but going somewhere else and seeing how those bodies live and how they work and how they play. Um, so that would be the first one. Uh, the second one, I would say, um, honestly, I would say learning a musical instrument. I know it's very specific, but I feel like that brings a lot of joy to our bodies is to make our fingers and mouths and whatever other parts make those beautiful sounds. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the third one is just to feel that warmth of another human being whether it's romantic or not, to get a true hug from somebody is really just worth everything. And if you get that just once in your life, that's something you can look back on and remember. Learning to play an instrument is not that simple, but it's um, something that brings a lot of joy. So true. Yeah. Beautiful reminders, profound ones. Thank you so much for being here today, for sharing these beautiful Timeless wisdom from my perspective. I love the play piece that is so important in life. We become so serious, <laughs> too serious. Thank you again for your presence. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services, and future projects? Sure. First of all, thank you very much for having me. And uh, the best place to find me is going to be my website, which is www.couragetohealtherapy.com. Wonderful. I love that name too. So I'll have your website on your podcast profile and the course link as well. Thank you so much again, Anna, for your presence. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Ana Kondrueva and her work, please visit CourageToHealTherapy.com and Courage-To-Heal-Academy.Teachable.com backslash P backslash attachment dash style. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.